This is It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati with Lindsey Patterson and Mike Santagata. We are back on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati. Lindsey Patterson, Mike Santagata. Mike, what is going on? My very exciting life. I, uh, it's not a problem, but uh, just my favorite brewery, uh, Great Lakes, had a new beer and they did not have it at my local place. So uh, they had me leave them, leave my number and my name. And they called. So I'll be getting that at some point. After you record the podcast, you'll, uh, you'll go pick it up. That sounds absolutely amazing. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's not that exciting. This this was happening in my life. I got, I've got a new beer to try. There, you know what? We should do a um, Mike's favorite beer of the month. Oh and- my God. I don't <laughs> drink enough for this. I have like four <laughs> beers a month. I mean, we we can just well maybe we can just see what happens. Part of a connoisseur. Yeah. Okay. All right. That works. And Nick, our producer, he brings up a really great point. We talked about this offline before we started recording. He says it's more exciting than doing your taxes because he just finished his. And um, I agree. You know, finding a finding oh, a good beer that you. <laughs> yeah, they're oh, not so great. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie about that. But hey, it's springtime and taxes are due. Or you're you're not getting due. You're getting a refund. Lucky lucky for you if you are. Uh, let's move on to the comments from Executive Vice President Katie Blackburn. The thing about the Bengals front office, we don't hear from them very often. Mike Brown um, is available to the media right before the season starts. Um, you know, when training camp is rolling, preseason, all of that, you hear from Mike Brown and more of the ownership. But Katie Blackburn was at the owner meetings with Zach Taylor and Duke Tobin, and three of her quotes I think were really important at the same time katie blackburn you know maybe different than other ownerships or or gms or vice presidents for nfl teams she's not going to say too much um she'll she'll give you a little detail but but pretty quiet and she's not gonna tell you everything that's going on behind the scenes but i actually want to hit on joe burrow first because everybody's wondering you know when's that contract going to get done is it going to be done during otas is it a training camp thing before regular season and i'm leaning towards it's probably going to be a regular before regular season contract timeline but guessing the date of that's going to be really fun um she said that we are in the preliminary discussions but there's free agency and such we'll see if we can get into a little bit more of it but it's hard to say exactly the pace we said we won't talk about much until there's something to talk about what did you think about Katie Blackburn's comments? Uh, I mean, I feel like it's it's not as exciting as I was hoping. You know, just preliminary talks with Burrow is, isn't. You know, I was kind of hoping like, yeah, we're just wrapping things up, <laughs> so like that. I don't know. I all these. I feel like a lot of NFL people. This goes even for Katie Blackburn, but it's kind of like that head coach speak. It's like, yeah, we're talking next question type thing is just like you didn't learn a ton you know they're talking and that's what she really confirmed yeah one of the things i listening to audio versus seeing a tweet i feel like are two totally different things and uh, jay morrison i'll give him credit for this because he's actually one of the beat writers who was currently at the owner meetings and he said that uh you know recorded it was able to talk to katie blackburn and listening to the audio and her talking about it it really just sounds like and jeff hobson also has it in his piece that the two sides have vowed to keep silence and i think that really scared a lot of bengals fans and in the terms of it it really just sounds like 
they won't make an announcement. They are not going to bring this up publicly until it's done, until there is something to talk about. And I can admire that a little bit because we see it right now with the front office. We see Lamar Jackson, the Baltimore Ravens. Um, they're on two separate sides right now on, on what his future is going to look like if he's back in Baltimore. But it really just sounds like the two sides are saying, hey, when we have something to report and maybe this contract's 100% done, we're going to come out and say contract's done. Joe Burrow signed his contract. And I don't know. I think I can kind of appreciate that. I don't think it's a scary thing to, to have your vice president say, you know, we're not going to we have nothing to say right now. And when we do, you know, we'll tell you. That's um, I feel like we live in an age of, you know, the it's a lot of immediate you know you want all your news to be immediate you want everything to just why we do this podcast twice a week even in the off season is there's always news and uh it's just continuous news cycle i don't know to me this is a lot of i wouldn't be worried like i'm not stoked about it but i'm not worried either i'm not it's it's coach speak for the most part it's just the yeah learning not much but it's exciting to hear because we're talking talking to Burrow, talking about an extension. Hopefully it's closer to being done than she's letting on. But as you have alluded to, I don't think they're going to let us know until it happens. Great. That's going to be a lot of fun this offseason. Uh, preliminary discussions, you know, you have to wonder how far along are you in the very beginning of just kind of talking about it and what those discussions are like. That could be anywhere from, hey, we have these terms that we've decided on. Nothing's really official on the guaranteed side. We, we just, we won't know. This is going to be one of those secretive contract extensions until it's fully out there. But I'll move over to Jonah Williams because I actually want to talk about Jonah Williams before I heard Katie Blackburn talk about him today. And there was a report overnight. Um, Kelsey Conway tweeted it out, according to a source to her, saying that he felt pretty blindsided by it because the front office didn't say anything to him about the Orlando Brown move. And I'm going to get to my thoughts really quickly on that. And my thing is, look, I know a lot of people are down on Jonah Williams, and I know he wasn't good enough at the left tackle position. I wasn't too down on if he was going to be the starter this year. I'd have been okay with it, but I'm glad that they upgraded the position. No team is going to have that discussion with a player. I, I doubt they have the discussion with a player because it happened so quickly. The agent reached out that morning. The contract was done that day in, in less than 24 hours. At the same time, what if that deal doesn't work out and you go ahead and call Jonah up and say, hey, you know what, Jonah? We are thinking about moving on from you, and this is the guy we're going to sign. And then Orlando Brown signed somewhere else, and then you got a left tackle that's already upset. You lost the one that you wanted to get in free agency, and I think that puts you in a bad position. Um, so I, I, I want to get where he's coming from as a player, but I don't think the Bengals handled that in a bad way without letting Jonah know because it did happen so quickly. Yeah, uh, I mean – if Jonah knew he was getting replaced, it would probably mean that he's worse off than what he is right now, because this was more of like, a, we're not actively looking to replace you with anybody. We are looking to replace you because, you know, somebody came along that is an upgrade. If Jonah was told like, yeah, we're looking for your replacement. It probably means like, we're looking for anything. We're, we're looking, we're looking high and low trying to find a new left tackle. So, and I get being upset about it being blindsight, which is, I don't know if he said that, but, Odd choice of words for being a left tackle. Ooh, yeah, <laughs> and, the, jo the Joe Burrow jokes are there. I all mean. the jokes are right there. And they went off, uh, you know, think, use your phrasing. Uh, but, yeah, I understand why he's upset. I could fully sympathize with the idea of, like, I thought I was starting a left tackle, and I just 
all of a sudden I'm not. But the reason is because they think you're fine. They think you were capable of being the starter. Anything they say, he would have been blindsided by them coming to him and saying, like, we're looking for an upgrade. Even if that's just the honest, like, we're just looking for an upgrade. We're not looking for anything. We're looking for an upgrade. The only time you wouldn't be blindsided is if they come up to you and like, you probably aren't having this job next year. Start training on the right side. <laughs> Start training at guard. Uh, you're going to be a swing tackle next year or something like that. It's like, okay, well, that means, you know, they're, they're not happy at all. But that's that's my quick take on that is just I understand why he's upset, but I also think it's hard to say this, but, you know, take solace in that they didn't come up to you and just be like, you stink. We're moving on. <laughs> I mean, at this point, if they don't get Orlando Brown, they're more than likely starting Jonah Williams at left tackle going into the season. And they're still saying, hey, we want you to be p- part of this offensive line. We're going to move you to the right side until they draft a rookie and they put him at right tackle. But, hey, they're paying this guy $12 million this year. And I doubt they want him to be on the bench if they can't get rid of him. Um, again, I've said this before. I said it earlier in the week. I, I think that Jonah Williams, if you don't find a trade partner, he will be the right tackle if you don't feel comfortable with this rookie class. Um, and then maybe Lyle Collins is eased back into the mix on the offensive line. But we have no clue what his uh, injury status looks like. We'll go ahead and end it with uh, Joe, uh, Joe Mixon, actually. And Katie Blackburn talked about it today. She said, right now, he's there. And we're going to plan like that until something different would happen. We've seen other teams have to make moves. Could we get to that point? Maybe, but it would be down the road. We'd have to see if that's what makes sense for us or not. And it really just sounds like end of the road could be the draft. It could be before the season starts. Maybe other running backs are available. Um, She said something without saying too much. Um, I mean, it really just felt like you've mentioned before coach speak, but again, it's the executive vice president saying this is kind of where we stand with Joe Mixon. Um, I don't take it for too much that that guarantees that Joe Mixon's going to be the starting running back in September, but it's still, that's where they stand right now. And Joe Mixon is a running back for the Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah. I mean, he is until he's not. <laughs> Same thing. Why are you, why are you making your current running back upset by saying you're looking for the upgrade? If you're not, then maybe they are more actively looking for that upgrade, but to me, it's just they feel fine with him starting. They may look for a guy to replace him, whether that's in the draft, and maybe they want it to be Mixon Zeke next year uh, with Mixon on a pay cut. I just think you don't make your players upset until you have to. That's why I've also been saying I don't think Joe Mixon takes a pay cut or gets cut unless it's in conjunction with a move. Like if they bring in Zeke, they, you're probably looking at them asking for a pay cut. If they – make a trade, do something with like a big name and the pay cut isn't enough. And maybe when that's when you're releasing him. So that's, uh, that's, I think with the mixing thing, it is interesting to read the tea leaves just a little bit too much. Nobody, nobody with mixing has said basically like, that's our guy, you know, they've done it a few times. You have Katie Blackburn today. And then before that, I believe it was Duke Tobin that basically said like, I don't know if he's the starter next year. So that I think is the one thing you can take away is that when you hear them talk about guys like T Higgins, guys that are on one year left on their deal, they're talking about like that guy's going to be a bagel. When they're talking about Joe Mixon, it's like, I don't know, maybe. (laughs) And I think they're being honest. I don't think they're like forcing anything that like, they're not going to, if they don't get good value in the draft and they end up with a fifth round pick, I don't think you get rid of Mixon, but B John follows the 28. Or they get a guy they like at 60. 
you're probably looking at a situation that Mixon's not the starter, and they're just being honest about like, I don't know if he's going to be the starter. There's places to upgrade. We just they're going to do it at a good value because it's not it's not such a need that you need to go fill that right now. Like safety is is it's not like Brandon Wilson sl- slotted in or Michael Thomas slotted in the start at safety week one. They would not be saying, I don't know if that guy's going to start. I mean, hopefully nobody would ask, but I mean, that would be like, no, we're going to find somebody <laughs> or, you know, even if they try to say we're happy with the tight end room. We all knew they were, you know, Devin Asiasi is the starter week one. And they're yeah. not saying like, yeah, we'll see. Maybe he's the starter week one. It's like, no, he's not. Come on. As, as soon as that article came out and, and when Zach Taylor said, you know, I feel pretty comfortable with our with what what with our tight end coach, what our tight end coach can do. Everyone's like, oh, my goodness, you can't have these uh, these guys be your starters in week one. And the draft isn't even here. And then they go bring in um, Herb Smith Jr. So uh, so have patience. Again, it's March 29th as we're recording this a lot will happen this offseason um with the running back room to be determined but I do want to say something about Bijan because you were on the hype train from the very beginning and a lot of people were like no way the Cincinnati Bengals they can't take him and now uh, some mock drafts have him going in the top 10 so he he isn't even gonna make it to 20 oh I doubt he makes it to 28 but if he's there then um that's gonna be a fun to fun thing to watch but at the same time you were you were on that hype train early and One of the very easiest hype trains to get on early in the history of draft. It was literally just, well, what's the value of running back? It's like, I don't care, dude. This guy is a top five, top 10 talent. Like you take that guy at 28 smash. I don't know if I would take him top 10. Like really? that is, it's tough though. It's tough just because that's where you're going to pass on like a Paris Johnson for him. And that becomes tough, you know, like bona fide round one talents you know, like no doubt about it types that are still going top 10. Because to me, you know, he is a bona fide, no doubt. That's where his talent is. But to me, the value of the running back position just knocks him out of that tier. Not so much that it knocks him like round two, round three only. It's just, I probably am not, if I have a similar grade on him to Paris Johnson or Joey Porter Jr. or Christian Gonzalez, Porter's probably not going that high. So Christian Gonzalez and, you know, uh, Devin Witherspoon, I'm going to take those guys just because they're playing a premium position, but I'm not going to try to force in an Emmanuel Forbes or uh, leading in. I think we're doing this at some point doing the, yes, we the are. Yes, theory. We are. but you know, I'm not going to take one of those guys over him because I don't see those guys as you know true round one talents. No doubt about it. Even like guys that are like round one, round twos, I would probably take Bijan over. And I have like a round one, two on like a Dewan Jones. I would take Bijan over Dewan Jones. I mean, I'm talking about like a bona fide stud, guaranteed, locked and loaded, awesome running back, or a 380 pound tackle that moves a little bit better than you'd expect, but didn't do any of his testing. <laughs> it's like any more Crocs. Any more Crocs. You know, well, offensive lineman, I feel like, you know, the more dad you are, probably the better you are. That's true. That's true. Uh, no, but uh, yeah, the running back stuff is, it's so up in the air. Um, you know, I'm eager to see what this team does do in the first, second, or even third round. Maybe there's one late, but again, we're going to get to all the tiers in the draft where we're at right now for the Cincinnati Bengals for the prospects coming up. But next we'll get to the mailbag questions on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati. This is It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati with Lindsey Patterson and Mike Santagata.
We are back on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati. Going to get to the mailbag questions. You guys are still in your off-season mode, but we do have quite a few. Make sure you're following along. Bengals underscore Sands. You can follow me at LNDS Patterson. Eric says, it feels like this draft and free agency questions have been asked. With that in mind, what current player or potential draft pick would you like to see wear the jersey number zero? Okay. I mean, let's do draft picks because – the easiest one is Darnell Washington. He wore number zero for Georgia. Mm-hmm. So there's your easy one. Give me, I don't know if they take him though. Uh, Zach Charbonnet, that'd be a fun running back wearing zero back there. He's like got it. good vibes to me. And the last one I think of is uh, Michael Turk, you know, punter. <laughs> punter wearing number zero. Ooh, punter for zero. I like that. Um, th- tell me a Bengals player who should be zero. Uh <laughs> My favorite was Eli Apple, but he's not on the team right now. That feels very trolly. It uh, does, and he would though. Yeah. So current Bengal wearing number zero. Uh, maybe it's somebody that that comes in and isn't like a full-time starter. I'm just trying to think this through my mind. Because I think of like they're bringing in Agent Zero. <laughs> uh Oh, who could that be? Maybe maybe Chris Evans. He changes his number and he'll get some playing time with number zero. Chris Evans. I don't know. I mean, again, I, he, he doesn't have zero vibes. He has zero vibes. I can't think of too many current Bengals that really give me the feeling of like a number zero. Is I have my one. Issue. Okay. I have one. And mine's secondary. It's secondary all the way. I think Cam Taylor Britt at zero would be a lot of fun. He tweeted earlier about the single digits. And I think that that would be really cool to see him as a zero. And then, um, Cheeto. But again, I think it's like a year in advance. You have to let the NFL know that you want to change your number. So he couldn't do it this upcoming season. And to be determined if he's with the Bengals next to the following year, because his contract's going to be up, but he wants to go to uh, single digits too. And I think it would be fun if Cheeto was four, Cam Taylor Britt was zero. Cheeto go back to his college number. Yeah, I'm in. I I think both those are fine. I just, when I think of zero, I do think of a little bit of like, you know, like Eli Apple. Oh, oh, I did not mean that, Eli. I did not mean that. I did oh, what did you say? I didn't mean not so great player, but I did not oh. mean that. I said that before you said that. I am an Eli Apple fan. I, I want the team to the, bring it back. The, the first zero I think of isn't obviously in the NFL because the NFL doesn't allow it. It's uh, Gilbert Arenas from the NBA, and he was he was a good player. Yeah. So Double zero, means, though. I don't think it means bad player. Double yeah. zero, that's, that's a bad player. Double zero is a bad player. Or a special teamer. He's an offensive lineman, even though they won't let the offensive lineman. <laughs> offensive lineman isn't wearing double zero. They're 50s through 70s only. I will not accept any other numbers. People have a hard time with these wide receivers doing it. What do you think? And I'm going to move on to our next question because we're talking about the single digit numbers. What do you think about that number five for T. Higgins? It's awesome. I mean, I I do think the thing that kind of stinks is, A, I have an 85 T. Higgins jersey. But, B, um, it was kind of fun that, like, the Bengals, you know, kind of had a legacy number with 85 mm-hmm. just getting passed down for the best wide receiver at least when he was drafted not anymore because chase is a freak but you know like a very very good wide receiver where's number 85 for the Bengals? think of chad t even eifert and uh oh god i'm blanking the original um oh my goodness isaac curtis Yes, Isaac Curtis. For some reason, I kept thinking Carl Pickens. Like, no, I don't think Pickens were five. Uh, but yeah, Isaac Curtis to Chad Johnson to Tyler Eifert to T. Higgins. It was kind of fun. Legacy number. That's that's something you don't see that often in the NFL. But five looks better. I mean, 
the single digits on wide receivers does look really nice. I did see some people on Twitter. They were saying that the Bengals should retire 85 and I don't, I don't think they should. For um, who? Yeah, because that would be the issue. It's like, do you do it for the guy that's in the ring of honor or do you do it for the guy that changed his name to 8-5 in Spanish and is going to be in the ring of honor soon? Yeah, I, I like 85 being available. I, I don't think it should be re- retired. I, I, there's you. It has to be a really huge, huge, huge moment for the number to be retired, and I, I don't agree with that. But, hey, you're right. I think the 85 has really lived on well in Cincinnati. We'll go to Jared. He says, I'm starting to think they're going to go defense early in this draft. Am I crazy if a high upside edge rusher falls in the first? No, you're not. No. Um, but if I was going to put my money on the Bengals taking a defensive player at 28, it's corner because that's where the, to me, that's where the needs going to match the value going to match the, I don't know. It's need matches value there more than probably more than the edge in value because yeah, there's the edge is a deep class. It's an awesome class. When I'm having my existence started watching these guys, and I see, according to the consensus uh, big board rank, there are 16 edge rushers in the top 100. And I like to watch all the top 100 uh, guys at Bengals positions of need. I go, oh no. <laughs> but I think a lot of those guys are more like early second maybe even just a second, third, you know, in that two, three more than they are like bona fide first round talent. Cause I think there's more first round talent corners than there are edge rushers, at least so far that I've watched. You can tell me if I'm wrong. And I want to say, I heard this, that the Bengals haven't drafted someone at least on the defensive line in almost 20 years in the first round. Um, oh man. Uh, Justin Smith was probably, too long ago. I can't think of anybody else off the top of my head. It, it, they they have a certain type when it comes to first round. And look, we've talked about it plenty over the last couple of years. You can take best player available. Last year, they were thinking in, in advance in the first round, like, hey, you got to get a safety because we're probably going to move on from Jesse Bates. But at the same time, I think at 28, I think you bring up a really great point. And, and I think everyone's kind of coming around to the, the cornerback room, which makes a lot of sense at 28. But also... It's a tight end position for them. I know the value some put into the tight end position overall in the NFL, and you shouldn't waste a first-round draft pick on it. But for me personally, since it's so late in the first round that I could see them sticking to that, if a wide receiver dropped to 28, it's not a loaded wide receiver class. So maybe, I don't know. I just, I don't think they go defensive line. I don't think they do either. And part of that is also the Bengals have a type at D-line, especially edge rusher, where they want those guys to be big. And they want those guys to be big, strong run defenders. So when you look at the class, well, B.J. Ojolari's off the board. Nolan Smith, even though he's strong and he's a good run defender, might be off the board because he's under 240. Will McDonald's probably off the board. Now you're really cutting down the edge rushers that you could take there. It's like Lucas Van Ness, if he falls, that's in play. But not a ton of like when you start thinking of that that cuts into a little bit more meanwhile i feel like tight end they take any of those guys corners they take any of those guys the only guy they might not take at corner would be uh man forbes is slight and i don't want to project my own feelings but even like 160 pounds that's tough to take at 28 in the first round i mean i know he had six pick sixes last year and like 14 interceptions or something which is crazy 
But I don't know. I just get worried about a 160 pound guy <laughs> at corner in your first round pick. It scares me a little. We'll say overall, Jared, you're not crazy for thinking that, but yeah. um, I, I just think just with the way the Cincinnati Bengals history has been in the first round, I don't see them going that route, but hey, I'd like to be surprised. I said trenches is a really important thing to address this offseason. Jason says, can Bengals Sands rank the right tackles that are currently on the roster? I might be in the minority, but I think Adenogy is greater than Ford. They both look like they struggle versus power, versus power but Adenogy handles speed better. Goodness, sorry. Sorry, Hakeem, I couldn't say your last name twice. Jonah Williams, number one. Uh, Lalo Collins, number two. Jackson Carmen, I think, number three. Although it's hard with the conversion to right tackle for him. But I'll give him benefit of the doubt that it, it's fairly seamless. I'll put him at three because he was better than number four, Hakeem Adenogy, number five, Cody Ford. Yeah. So I'm I with think- him. I, I think Adenogy also better than Ford. Adenogy isn't terrible i don't think like i know people have a very bad opinion of him he also had solid games last year in relief he's a swing tackle that shouldn't start seven games uh or or five i don't remember how many played but like when he came in against the patriots he was fine when he played the next week he was fine and the ravens got him but then he was fine against the bills and then he gets destroyed in the Super not the Super Bowl, but the AFC Championship game. And that just leaves its imprint on everybody. I think the same thing happened with Max Sharping, where Max Sharping was mostly fine. It's just he went against went against the Chiefs and Chris Jones and got yeah. annihilated. And everybody <laughs> also thinks of Adenogy as a guard when he was really bad as guard. That is what it is. He's not a guard. But at tackle, I thought he was fairly okay. And I don't think Ford has ever played at that level. Oh, that's scary. Hopefully it's just a depth piece and uh, he's getting a vet minimum. So I wouldn't freak out too much about that. Bengals fans. I know some uh, felt very 50. I hope he plays at that level. If he has to go in, I'm not trying to say. Anything yeah. I mean, I don't, I just, hopefully they don't have to put, I don't know. We'll see. I haven't we'll studied see. every game. I've watched every energy game. So I'm going to come across the good ones. I haven't watched every Ford game, but the games I have watched, I'm like, yes. Uh, well, I know. Is this? The right tackles for you to have. I know it was like seven and a half minutes, maybe nine minutes in the Bills Monday night football game, but Hakeem ended up starting that game, which was a little bit of a surprise we were hearing. He was, so many, he, was he was good when he went out there. I think Bengals fans were like, did you see Hakeem with energy uh, against their, their D-line? So, yeah, I, I'm not out on Hakeem. I just remember Dave Lapham being so big on him when the Bengals drafted him and what they what he really felt the potential could be with him. Um, and I still feel that way. And you mentioned it. He's a swing guy and, you know, it's not start. Hopefully he doesn't have to start. No offense to Hakeem, but um, yeah, I'm okay with it. Nick says our roster is good. I feel like we can draft the best available player and not a need this year. We've talked about this plenty. And he says, do you agree? Yes. Especially the earth signing, right? You're not yeah. pigeonholed into anything now. You've got starters at every position. You've got guys maybe you want to upgrade, guys you want to get cheaper, things like that. You guys want to look towards the future. But for the immediate this year needs, probably almost all of your starters are in place. And you actually, you should feel good about every starter that's in place, at least like fine about every starter that's in place. The only thing I can think of is right tackle because you don't know what's going on. But if you assume Jonah's taking that spot, then I feel fine at every place on the roster and 20 is a specifically bpa who falls and that's what you want when you're picking that late like when you're picking five or something you know when they're just like jamar chase and they kind of knew they might get jamar chase or kyle pitts or somebody maybe leave one of those wide receiver spots open kind of like they did 
but when you're picking 28, I feel like you got to fill those holes because if you're just hoping like, ah, we'll leave a safety spot, Brian Branch will fall to us. What if he goes at 20? <laughs> now you're screwed. I am really looking forward to draft night. Um, you know, night one and two, I think, are the best nights. But just to be there and think, I have no clue where they're going with this pick at 28 because they're not in the top five. They're not in the top 10. And we, we saw that last year, too, with the Dax Hill uh, pick. I was surprised with that. But I, I just I love being at 28. I love that they're in a position to get best player available. And I think that's going to be their mindset when you look at their draft board. I do want to add this because uh, Nick B says, do you think T changing his number is any indication of an extension coming? And I, I've watched that a couple of times today. People were saying, well, maybe an extension's coming because he changed his number with the Cincinnati Bengals what do you think about that uh, <laughs> no not really but like? maybe I don't I'm not reading that much into that part I'm reading it a little bit more into how much they promoted it I guess maybe that's a thing but him changing his number I don't know, probably knows he's getting money <laughs> soon so it's not worried about this the, the cost of that uh yeah I feel like it's more so like they promoted a lot and they keep talking as if they're trying to extend him. I hope the extension gets done. I'm not really reading at all into him changing his number, meaning he's getting extended. Yeah, Katie Blackburn did talk about the three of them, and it was Joe Burrow, T. Higgins, Logan Wilson, when it comes to contract extensions, and just brought up, of course, they they want to get all those done. Um, the th I, I, I wouldn't look too much into the number change, meaning anything towards an extension. I'm very optimistic that the front office is going to be able to get this deal done with T. Higgins, and hopefully it is this offseason, so it's something they don't have to worry about when the conversations start with Jamar T Chase next year. But uh, T. Higgins actually wanted to do this last year. He wanted to change his number, and it's such a process. He just applied late. I mean, there was a whole lot of you got to buy your jerseys. Um, there's a whole whole lot of behind-the-scenes stuff with changing your number, and uh, this is something that he actually wanted to do the season prior. So hopefully, you know, that extension gets done soon. But, uh, but yeah, going to be number five for the Cincinnati Bengals next year. We'll go to one more. Uh, he says, the Wanderer says, what do you think happens with DJ Reader being in a contract year? Will they try to re-sign him, draft his replacement? Hendrickson and Hubbard alone combined for $23 million in a cap hit in 2024. I mean, I'm biased. I would try to resign him. Uh, I think the Bengals, I think they try. Are they going to, you know, is it going to be the same level they try for Joe Burrow? No. Uh, is it the same level they try for T Higgins? Probably not, but I think they're going to try. And I would too. I mean, and those tackles, I don't think fall off until about 32 years old. I tried to look into it a little bit, reading, Reading about guys, it's hard to find because nobody lists nose tackles. Everybody's a defensive tackle, so I got to go through, like, who's 350 pounds? <laughs> Who do I remember playing nose tackle type thing? And it seems like 32 is kind of the cutoff uh, there. And a lot of times it's injury more than age. So that's what I would think about. I, I don't know. I feel like you try to re-sign DJ Reader, and I don't think you draft his replacement. If it falls to you, maybe, but what, what are they missing? If you're trying to think of their Super Bowl team right now, it's not a nose tackle, even a backup nose tackle. I feel like they can make it work. It's interior pass rush because Reader was their second best pass rusher in the Chiefs game. That can't happen. That's your best run defender can't be your second best pass rusher taking up every snap or else you're not getting the getting value out of it. So that's what I think is like what I keep looking back to is mm – -hmm. You want to get better this year. You want to get better now. And uh, you obviously want to get better in the future too. But to get better right now, 
getting a nose tackle that's going to play like 15% of snaps, 10% of snaps, something real low. And I think of like, he didn't work out. He didn't, you know, look like this isn't the home run pick. Like if you get a guy and he looks good, he's probably gonna play plenty of, uh, you know, probably getting the 20% of snap of like Tyler Shelvin didn't play at all. And that was a nose tackle swing in the fourth round. So when are you drafting him? I don't know. I I don't think they look, they might look for his replacement, but it's probably going to be day three. And I don't think they're trying to force it. Yeah, I agree with that. And I don't want to think about that sad day without DJ reader. Uh, he's a huge part of this defense. And, you know, that is one of the things we talk all the time about offensive line. When you think of the AFC championship game in the Super Bowl, the weakness for the Cincinnati Bengals, and they have to get to the quarterback. That's how that's what ended their Super Bowl. That's what ended their AFC championship game. And they do need that help. I know they're spending a lot of money on their defensive line, but if you can get a stud in this draft and that's why I'm I'm all for it at 28. If the guy is available or maybe somebody falls or, or a guy that they like that they can get, I, I want that. I'm okay with that because they need that help. Um, and that's just something that they, they do struggle with defensively. Uh, but I want to get to tears because that's so much fun to rank some of these guys in this prospects uh, next on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati. This is It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati with Lindsey Patterson and Mike Santagata. We are back on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati. I'm going to give our friend Jake Lisko credit for this because I saw him do it on Twitter, and I think it's so much fun because we're at the point where we're less than 30 days out from the NFL draft. We are almost there. April is a few days away. And uh, tears because we're hearing all these different prospects. When I open a new mock draft, I see cornerback, tight end, offensive line. Uh, who's going to go to Cincinnati at 28? I want you right now, your expert opinion, give me your tier one, tier two, tier three at pick 28. Oh man. I don't know if I can hit everybody, but I mean, tier one is going to be Bijan because he's, I think tier one is like if a clear round one talent falls and guys have like clear round one talents, Bijan Robinson, that's a tier one guy. Kalaja Kansi is a tier one guy for me. Um, I don't think they're going to take him, but Nolan Smith is a tier one guy for me. Uh, Broderick Jones, Darnell Wright, tier one and a half, maybe. They might be a tiny step down, but it's about tier one. Deontay Banks also in that group. If Joey Porter Jr. somehow fell, that's a tier one guy for me. I think Cam Smith also in tier one and a half with a few of those guys. Tier two guys, I think that's Michael Mayer, Darnell Washington, Keely Ringo, uh, Dalton Kincaid. Those are a few of the tier two guys I can think of. And then tier three being guys I'm not personally the biggest fan of, I guess. Uh, it would be Lucas Van Ness and Emmanuel Forbes. I think they're realistic, and I probably am not making that move. Also, I might move Dog Kincaid down to tier two and a half just because of his injury and his age. Like He's, he's kind of older. He's got the back injury, so that's not great. But I guess that's a, a Dewan Jones is probably in – tier two two and a half he's a step down i think from darnell Wright and broderick jones anton harrison would be in that tier two and a half but then yeah i just have the two guys in tier three right now i i don't see it really with uh lucas van ness i don't know maybe somebody could sell me on it i only watched three games and emmanuel forbes great ball skills you know the interceptions the pick sixes they're awesome 
I didn't see much other than that. And uh, I don't know. That, that is it's a lot to bet on him to be able to do that at the NFL level because, I mean, he got Will Levis, but he faced some other NFL quarterbacks and he wasn't getting those, he wasn't getting interceptions on those guys. I feel like, I mean, I could, I'm probably going to look this up at some, uh, look this up in a moment, but uh, yeah, I, he just has, he's got issues um, with his press. He's really, really slight. I worried about the size and his ability to be able to jam at all. Even if he was 180 pounds, he's listed as, which I don't think he is after the way of day. Um, that's not great. It's already pretty low for them. So he didn't pick off Georgia. He didn't get an interception against Mississippi. Didn't get an interception against Alabama. He got his interception against Arizona, Texas A&M, Arkansas, Kentucky, and Eastern Tennessee State. I sure. I don't know. I'm more impressed if he was picking off like Bryce Young and he was picking off uh the well, man probably isn't a better quarterback than Will Levis, but I don't know. Pick off more pick off Bryce Young. That's, that's what I guess what I'm asking for. Is give well, interceptions he... Bryce, uh those types. Because Will Levis, Will Levis is gonna throw interceptions. He's a big arm guy, he's gonna think he fit in there. And I think I watched that one, and it was just him jumping a screen pass that Will Levis is just immediately through because Kentucky ran screen passes every other play, it felt like. With Emmanuel Forbes, I didn't even have him as a target in 20. And obviously, I'm not going back and watching all the college tape. There are experts, including you on Twitter, who will go and watch tape, break it all down, um, and tell me who the Bengals should draft at 28. But I will say this. Over the last 24 to 48 hours, I know this means absolutely nothing. I'm starting to see him mocked to the Bengals. A lot. Mike Tannenbaum. Um, I know how some people feel about him uh, in, in the NFL media world. Uh, former front office uh, executive. He he says Emmanuel Forbes, Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, you know, just going through some of these. I, I didn't even have him on their radar. I had cornerback as a possibility, but a lot of people are saying that there's a little bit of a connection that maybe the Bengals will take him at 28. At the moment, we've said it before, still best player available. Um, wouldn't be surprised if they go secondary cornerback room. Uh, but he's really confident. I'll say Forbes is really confident in himself. If you look at some of his tweets, uh, telling people that, you know, he feels good, going to be a, a great um, player on, on an NFL team. But now that you bring this up, I'm getting a little nervous that maybe they do go that route at 28. I hope it works out. I hope it's great. I just, when I'm watching, I, and maybe it's what I value. What I, I obviously, I, we've talked about, you know, a while here about he's thin. He's real thin. He's going to be maybe the slightest corner in the NFL. I mean, the guys you look at for size comparisons are either all under six feet, like well under six feet, or nickel corners, or, you know, like guys that, not a lot of guys are able to jam and press at 160 pounds. And I think when I looked it up, I mean, the best corner under, there's nobody at like 160 pounds that was good, uh, at least in the mock draftable uh, database, which goes back so far. I think somebody brought up, I think it was Antrell Roll, maybe. Uh, there's, or it could have been somebody else. There was somebody from the 90s and early 2000s that was able to play about that light. We look at under 180 pounds. I mean, Nickel Roby Coleman, I think, was the only guy I looked at, and I was like, that's a longtime starter, and he was a nickel. It's in his name, but it, that's also the position he played. So 
I don't think he's I don't think Forbes plays nickel. He's a little bit tight. Um he's I I don't like his feet uh in general. <laughs> he's patient, he's confident, and he's got great hands and balls. Could he be a small, less physical, not as good man coverage um Trevon Diggs? That would, I guess, be the hope. Could he be, hmm. I don't know, Walmart, Delta O'Neill? <laughs> this is all making me feel really sad. Um, so, I, I don't mean, know. That's what I see, but I hope I'm wrong. Like, I, I want all these guys to succeed. This, he's not a bad no. person. Oh, no, I, no, no, I, no, I, no. I, yeah. you know, so I'm hoping he succeeds. But if it's my take and what I would do from the Bengals, I would maybe think about it in the second round. Yeah. Totally game. Make, get that corner back in the second round. That works. My question for you, 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 you brought up Dalton Kincaid and I do think the injuries are a concern and then you're not seeing the workouts, the pro day stuff. Uh, but Daniel Jeremiah, again, one of my favorites when it comes to NFL draft prospects and he doesn't always get it right, but with Dalton Kincaid, he has him really high as far as the tight end group, tight end number one, I'm starting to see for Dalton Kincaid. If you're the Cincinnati Bengals, and it is pick 28, Dalton Kincaid, Michael Mayer sitting there. What is the smart long-term move? And by long-term, I mean two to three years, at least at that position. And maybe it's not right away because the injury concern is, is still going to be there. What do you think they should do? Mayer. I just think Mayer is the better tight end of the two. I, that goes against Daniel Jeremiah. Respected a lot. I think that Mayor comes in the league with the higher floor. I think Kincaid has the higher ceiling. Does he reach the ceiling in three years? Does he reach the ceiling at all? That's hard to say. Um, and he's probably never going to be a good blocker. I think if you are, there's a case to be made for Kincaid. I'm not against him being taken at 28. The fun thing with Daniel Jeremiah, to sidetrack a little bit, is I believe he's done three mocks now. Mm-hmm. And in the first one, he had Darnell Wright. The second one, he had Michael Mayer. And now he has Dalton Kincaid. I don't know. Maybe he's connected and he hears Bengals are going tight end at 28. Because that is weird that he has done that three straight drafts and it's been three different guys. Oh, I I don't want to say that he had Dalton Kincaid going to the Cincinnati Bengals. He had Dalton oh. Kincaid as tight end number one in the draft. Oh, okay. He okay. went early. So, no, he actually – I have yet to see Daniel Jeremiah say that Dalton Kincaid's coming to Cincinnati. But I did see the other two tight ends mocked to Cincinnati from him. Uh, but I was just a little surprised to see Don Kincaid um, higher. And I, I just feel like there's a lot of hype around Don Kincaid right now. And I was surprised with the pro day stuff and the injury concerns. Um, you know, we we don't know how he's going to feel uh, with September right around the corner, training camp right around the corner. How, how are things going to go, even though it all sounds positive and optimistic when it comes to Don Kincaid? Um, I'm just, you know, wondering what route they go. And for me personally, I, I say it all the time, best player available. They're doing a lot of offensive line visits uh, with these top 30 guys. It really feels like the Bengals are connected to offensive linemen, which would be smart when it comes to um, a pick 28 if they decide to go that route or maybe they get a guy in the second round. Is there a player tier two and this will go even towards the second round that we, you would feel comfortable with bringing on the offensive line. It doesn't have to be a tackle position. It can be a guard position too. Second round types. Mm-hmm. You mean I haven't watched enough. Uh, Cause I don't think I have anybody that matches. They're going to go in the second Cody mock maybe. And I haven't watched them though. So I don't, 
I don't really want to give him my ringing endorsement because I haven't, I haven't watched him. But when I'm looking at guys that like match the need to where they're going in the round and the value, it's like to me, I wouldn't. I haven't watched a tight. Or I haven't watched an offensive tackle or I haven't watched any interior offensive linemen. I'll get around to it. I just don't yeah. think they're that interested early on. But I'm gonna get around to it eventually. Uh, but when I'm looking at you know I'm looking at offensive tackle, I'm looking at interior offensive line. I don't. I just don't see the guy that's going to be there in round two. And that's, I think, one of the biggest cases you can make for tackle at 28 is Dwan Jones, Anton Harrison, they're gone. They're gone before you pick at pick 60. Guys that are there, Jalen Duncan, Blake Freeland, Matthew Bergeron. I haven't watched enough Bergeron to give a real take. I wouldn't take Duncan or Freeland at 60. I would take Duncan in the third round, and you could talk me into Freeland in the third round. They both need a ton of work. And that's the real issue is I don't I don't think you take one of those guys at pick 60 if they need a ton of work done to become a starting level tackle. And I know that they could sit behind Jonah. Both those guys would have to transition as well from left to right tackle. I don't know. I'm not seeing it there. I think there will probably be interior guys you could think about there. And this kind of goes back to having Brandon on last time mm-hmm. is he – Kind of seemed like he felt similarly about like, I mean, you got guys at 28. You hope for Darnell right, but there's other guys you could take at 28. And then it's like you ask about pick 60, picks 92. It's kind of like maybe Bergeron and you move him or something like that. It's it's not like a no doubt. Boom, I got an answer for you right here. It's kind of like a maybe this guy or you know the, I could talk myself into. And it's like no, that's not a, that's not great. I think he said he's missing, like, he's got rounds one, round two, but he doesn't have very many three, four, fives. It's like round one, round two, or round six, round seven. And I've heard that a, a, a bit. It's not just from him. I've heard the depth for starting, like, just round two, round three types isn't really there. What would be a disappointing pick at 28? <sighs> um. And I don't want to be hard on the player because they're talented. They're in the NFL draft. So you can even go position group um, outside of quarterback, of course. But, uh, you know, what would be? I I think some people are excited about the idea of Jameer Gibbs going there. But I think a non-Bijan running back at 28 wouldn't be that. It'd be exciting. So I can't say it wouldn't be exciting. But I don't know if it's a good process just because I don't have those guys as clear round one guys, whether they do Jameer Gibbs or they do Zach Charbonnet or whoever. I don't think that guy at 28 would be the best pick. I'm trying to think what else. Not much else, though, because, I mean, safety, maybe? I mean, Brian Branch is a good prospect from everything I know. I haven't watched him because I don't think they take a safety at 28. But everything I know, Brian Branch is a pretty good prospect. So maybe you're not that upset. You think he's supposed to go well before 28. But if it's somebody else, that's that's not an exciting pick. I don't want to... I don't, I, want, I don't want to overvalue my own evaluation either, though, because I'm going to miss. I'm going to miss sometimes. Maybe I miss on Forbes. I'm not into him at 28, but I can't say it's a really disappointing pick because there's smart people that are into him. And I think a lot of the data matches up. It's just me personally. I wouldn't do it. My favorite thing about the NFL draft 
you hear a name and someone gets drafted, it could be the first round, it could be the second round, it could be after the draft is over and people are like grading these drafts, which I don't think it's fair to grade a, grade a draft until like two to three years later to see how these guys work out for a team. Uh, but everyone talks, they'll, they'll talk themselves into it. They'll be like, oh, he's going to be great. Say they get Forbes at 28 and they get a cornerback, someone will be like, wait, is Cheeto not going to be ready? What's going on in the cornerback room? But then they're just a year ahead. They're a step ahead. They're thinking about next year. If somebody goes down with an injury, they have their rookie cornerback, like they had Cam Taylor Britt in the second round. So, yeah, I mean, at this moment, it just feels all over the place. And, and I said it earlier today, when I look at some of these mock drafts, again, they meet zero. They, at the end of the day, they're not the Bengals front office. They're not making those decisions on draft day. Um, it's a different player every day for the Cincinnati Bengals. It is a different position group. It is a different player or it's a different tight end. And um, I just have absolutely zero idea where they go. Um, I just hope that me personally, I hope the guy they get at 28 is an impact player that that is playing this season, their rookie year. Oh, man. Maybe not corner. Uh, yeah, yeah. Probably, hopefully not Cheeto. I mean, hopefully they don't. It's not a cornerback because I would feel terrible because you want Cheeto to be ready for the season. But I, I don't know. I, I get the cornerback move. I totally understand at twenty eight to get a cornerback. Um, but you know, if they don't go that route, I hope it's a player that is that's impacting from day one. Even though if it is a tight end, um, the, the Cincinnati Bengals don't use the tight end like a lot of other teams. Um, you know, I'm pumped about the Herb Smith Jr. You have a great piece on all Bengals about him, um, what he's going to be able to do with this offense. But I, I want them to be able to get a, get a rookie that's going to be able to step in. And maybe that's on the defensive line. Maybe it's a rookie right tackle um, or it is a tight end. I, I know a lot of people feel a certain way about taking a tight end in the first round. Why do you think people are down on tight end in the first round? I think you look at the history. The history of the position basically says you find these guys anywhere. It's kind of similar to running back where you find starting running backs a lot of places. The best rookie tight end was, I think, a fifth round pick in Chig Conquo. And the second best one was my guy Dulcich, which was I think was a third round pick. So these aren't first round picks that blow up. And you look at Noah Fant and TJ Hawkinson, like and TJ Hawkinson is getting better. So maybe that's not great. But, you know, you look at a lot of first round tight ends in history, Eric Ebron. No offense. There's great ones too. Vernon Davis, but he took a while to get going. A lot of tight ends take a while to get going. I think that's another issue. If you want the immediate impact and for sure making an impact, that's where you get into running back, man. It doesn't matter if it's Gibbs, whoever. That guy's going to make an impact. It's just what is the value of that? Could you have gotten a similar level of player that can make the same, not the same, but a similar impact on day two? I don't know about day three. I think day three running back is a great idea, but there's so many misses in that period that it's not like for sure I'm drafting a guy day three. I'm cutting, mixing. This guy's going to play all the snaps. You just look at the history there. It's not a ton going on, but yeah, I don't know. I think the tight end thing is just the history of first round tight ends isn't perfect. It's muddy. It's muddier than most positions that are selected in the first round. And you look at George Kittle wasn't a first round pick. I don't think Travis Kelsey was a first round pick. Darren Waller was like undrafted. Mark Andrews wasn't a first round pick. He wasn't even the first tight end they took. So you look around, it's like, yeah, tight ends seem to be a little bit more random with who's going to be great, who's not. But then you also look and you say like, there's first round tight ends that have been good. And maybe that is what you draft. So that's, I think what it is. It's just the history. And they're probably not making an impact day one. 
Yep. We'll see what happens. We're almost there less than 30 days. Like I mentioned before, over on all Bengals, you have a great piece on Herb Smith Jr. What else is coming up online, Mike? Something. Keep checking that Herb Smith piece. Go, go check it out. It's really good. Uh, go go to it, click it, exit out, click again, and uh, yeah. just make sure you, you, you keep going back to it. It's going to be a great piece. Refresh until the next one's on there. Uh, but make sure you follow along all Bengals. You can follow them on Twitter at Bengals underscore Sand. You can follow me at LNDS Patterson. And thank you for listening to It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati.